fans. They arrive, they watch, they cheer, they leave, and they wait till next week. Followers, they practice every day. They learn, they take the hits, they sacrifice. This world is full of fans. Will you be more? Do you have what it takes to follow, to step onto the field? Let's do this. Well, hey, Heritage. Want to welcome all of you to week three of Fan to Follower, where we're leveraging the sport of football to help us understand how we live as true followers of Jesus and not simply fans. So again, I want to welcome all of you across our network, our family out of Bettendorf, those online, and all of you here at Rock Island. If you're a guest, I'm glad you're here with us today. You may have noticed that this is Team Apparel Weekend. And as you look around, you can see we can be a pretty rowdy bunch at times. But I got to tell you, that all comes from the heart that we never want to take ourselves too seriously. We never want to do that. But we always want to take seriously the things of God. And so this fan-to-follower conversation involves football, but it's not about football. We're using the metaphor of football. So it doesn't matter if you like football or not. This whole thing is designed to position all of us to live a life that matters for what matters most. And if we're going to do that, we need to understand a few things that we've been unpacking as we started our journey. The first of which is that there is a difference between a fan and a follower. There's a difference. And God is looking for followers and not fans. Because followers live and love and lead like Jesus. But fans, man, they just show up, cheer, and leave. It's very different than a follower. Because a follower truly wants more for people than from people. And they do that through a very specific set of priorities that we started to look at last week. You see, most of us, most people in the world, will seek to prioritize or protect themselves first. So that comes as number one. We seek to protect or prioritize ourselves first. That's natural. Most people tend to do that. But then we'll seek to protect or prioritize others. And it's based on the level of relationship that we have with those folks. And then maybe third and finally, we'll seek to protect or prioritize the organization or in fan to follower the team or in the context of the church, the kingdom, the things of Jesus. And so most people live a life that prioritizes a sequence of one, two, three. But the reality is that structure is what a fan lives by. Self first, others second, and then maybe the team third. But when we're talking about followers, being a follower, they live the exact opposite priority structure. Where it's the kingdom first, others second, and self last. It's really purpose, then people, then the person. It's three, two, one. And it may seem cold to put people behind the purpose, but listen, it is actually in their best interest to not separate anyone from their God-given created purpose, but to actually live three, two, one. Yet we can struggle to do this. We can struggle to live three, two, one because we can make things about us. Or we can struggle just with the drama that comes with relating to other people. 
But the reality is that this is not an optional thing for anyone who follows Jesus. They need to live three, two, one. But the challenge is that we can actually believe we're a follower while we function like a fan. And that's a problem. If you're following along your sermon out, God, it actually gets us to our first fill-in, that it is quite possible for us to believe like a follower, yet still behave like a fan. To believe like a follower, yet still behave like a fan. And when we do that, we're really just a fan. Because, see, look, fans are consumers, not contributors. They're more like admirers, not advocates, and they're really driven by emotion more than passion. So circumstances play a huge role in the level of engagement and commitment, unlike a follower where it's an unconditional reality. So it's really easy to be a fan. Just think for a moment. You may have a commitment to or a a faithful loyalty to a particular team. It could be because that's the team your family's followed. It could be from your alma mater. It could be you have a personal experience or a particular player that you like. But even with that loyalty, you may not be living in a manner that reflects that conviction and commitment. So you believe, but don't behave. Because it is quite possible to believe like a follower, yet still behave like a fan. And that really puts us in a place where it's kind of like a house divided against itself. In fact, I need, to, I need to confess something. My home has been a house divided against itself for many years. See, I grew up in western Pennsylvania, and the only professional football team you root for in western Pennsylvania is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, bleed, bleed black and gold. All right, so, but here's the deal. My family has not held that strongly to that commitment. In fact, my oldest son, Joshua, at a very early age, declared himself a Bengals fan. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Here's a picture of uh, actually Joshua and Daniel at the Hall of Fame, a number, NFL Hall of Fame a number of years ago. And you can see Joshua's already sporting his Bengals attire. Now, this all started because he liked tigers initially, and that was cute. But then he became a, 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 a supporter of the Bengals, which is oppositional. Now, he embraced that a little bit, and he actually grew to be a Ravens fan which if you ever understood anything about the Steelers and the Ravens, that is a very bad thing because the Ravens are the equivalent of the Browns in their history, and that is just not good. Now, Daniel in this picture is clearly a Steelers supporter, but over time he himself has grown to include other teams like the Saints. So here's the deal. In our family, we have cheered differently along the way, and I have been a fan of the Bengals, and I have been a fan of the Saints, but I am a follower of the Steelers. And there's a very different reality between fan and follower. There's a difference. And it's easy to be a fan. Now, as a former Army officer, I have chosen to support today the Army Black Knights, 12th man on the field, all right? Now, listen, listen. I figured that was less divisive than picking an NFL team or even a big-name college team. But I am a supporter of the Black Knights. And, and as much as I am a supporter of them, I have to admit I have been more a fan than a follower. Let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. Here's a picture from an Army Air Force game a number of years ago that I was able to take my dad and my two sons to. We're sitting, let me tell you, we're sitting in the upper level, all right? We're in the front row of the upper level. And we're, we've got some uh, 
team attire on, but are we more fans or followers? We're fans, totally fans. But what about these guys? All right, check out these guys. Are they more fans or followers? They're followers. They're excited. They're passionate. They're all painted up. Go Army. All right, the Corps of Cadets, they're committed. So here's the deal. I am a supporter of the Army Black Knights. But really, listen, it does not affect my, my daily, weekly, monthly life at all. And maybe just a little bit my yearly life when the Army-Navy game comes around. Go Army. All right? But listen, that's because it is ultimately easy to be a fan, and it is quite possible to believe like a follower, yet still behave like a fan. And that's not a big deal in football. But in the spiritual life, it's huge. It's huge. True followers don't behave like fans. They don't simply look the part occasionally or act the part occasionally. They live it 24-7, and it's problematic when they don't. To lacking passion, lacking loyalty, not being all in means we're a fan. And there are serious implications for us spiritually when we live that way. Because even though we may want something different, we may want to be a great spiritual person, if we're not living according to the principles Jesus told us to live by, we're not. And we're just a fan. You see, there was a point when the guys who followed Jesus, we call them his disciples, they were having a conversation about who's the greatest follower. And they end up taking that discussion to Jesus and, and involving him, which I got to tell you was a total fan move, by the way. Total fan. Because fans are the ones who are thinking, okay, what is one, two, three? Who's the greatest? How do I prioritize? Where do I fit in that? Am I, am I one? Am I, can I be one? Can I, okay, at least be two. That's fan thinking. But Jesus, in that moment, he invites a child into the space, and then he says this in Matthew 18. He says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now let me just hold right there to put in the context of fan to follow. He's saying, look, if you're going to remain a fan, and all that a fan means, and not shift to being a follower, you're out. I know that's a baseball term and we're doing a football theme, but I think you get the point. He says, look, you can't just be a fan. You've got to shift to being a follower. You have to become like a child or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, it seems like an odd answer. It's kind of weird. Unless you've grown up in the church and you've heard this before, it, it feels a little backwards, Right? I mean, children, if you think about children, children are childish. They're, they're immature. More than once, Beth has rolled her eyes appropriately at me as I have behaved like a child. It's been goofy, especially with my boys. I mean, I just do that. And, and when you think about being a child, it's, it's really that children are typically immature. They're high need. They're not all strong and imposing and it's really the opposite of what we would think greatness is. Yet Jesus says we have to become like children to enter the kingdom, let alone to be great in the kingdom. And when he says that, man, that was unexpected, and it was countercultural. Because children at this time were seen more as property than individuals. They, they were supposed to be seen and not heard. They were supposed to do as they were told and not rock the boat at all. He was pushing against the system. Now, 
That reminds me of a story I just love to share with you. It took place outside of Columbus, Ohio. You see, a first grade teacher explained to her class that she was a fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes. She then asked her students to raise their hands if they were Buckeye fans too. Now, not really knowing what a Buckeye fan was, but wanting to be liked by their teacher, all of their hands went up with one exception. A little boy named Timmy had not gone along with the crowd. And when his teacher saw that Timmy hadn't raised his hand, she asked him why he had decided to be different. Timmy said, because I'm not a Buckeye fan. A bit surprised, his teacher asked, what are you then? Timmy said, I'm a Hawkeyes fan. The teacher was a little bit perturbed now. Her face was a bit red, and she asked Timmy why he was a Hawkeyes fan. And he said, well, my mom and dad are Hawkeyes fans, and so I'm a Hawkeyes fan too. Now, at this point, the teacher became angry. She lost it. She lost her composure, and she began to chide to Timmy. She said, that's no reason. What if your mom was a clown and your dad was a knucklehead? Well, Timmy said, then I'd be a Buckeyes fan. Oh, yes, I did. But listen, listen, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. No offense. Clearly, they're the number one team. They won again yesterday. They are a great team. No need to send me emails on that. Just teasing. But listen, children have an innocence, right? I mean, they're not very intimidating. Uh, They're not typically good at deception. They actually have to learn that over time. They're not naturally people who care what others think. They learn that over time. They're not self-conscious. Again, that's learned. They're naturally postured to trust and believe and hope. And Jesus is saying to, to be a follower is to be like a child. Not immature and undeveloped, but trusting and expectant and dependent. See, often it's the lack of a childlike faith that allows us to live into 321. You see, it's it's the reality that we are too insecure, we're too self-conscious or self-centered to position others ahead of us. And so we live one two. Or we can even be a person who's embarrassed by the things of Jesus. And so we don't worship in public. We don't talk about him. We don't share what he has done or what he has meant to us. And we therefore don't live three, two, one. We live one, two, three. And whenever we live one, two, three, instead of the reverse, we're actually living in a manner where we don't believe God will bless our obedience to living in his priorities. But this is, this is the posture Jesus calls us to. And if you're someone who today who is struggling to live three, two, one, who is struggling to take a selfless posture as a child, who is trusting and dependent upon the Father, I want you to know something. That can change today. What is in your life doesn't have to be. Because God is most interested in what can be in your life. In fact, if you're still following along your sermon note guide, the next fill-in is just simply that, that God is most excited about what or who we can become. God is most excited about who we can become. He is most interested. He is most stirred. He is most passionate about who we can become. 
He's interested in who we are, but he is more excited and passionate about who we can become. He's excited about us changing and becoming like children. But there are many things that get in the way of that, like fear or doubt or failure or even pain, the things we experience in this world. But listen, being his child is not about behavior or what we experience. It's more really rather about our identity, who we are. And we're not to be defined by what happens to us, but more by what happens in us. Just consider the words of Paul, who he wrote these in Galatians to a group of followers of Jesus in the early church. He said, so you are no longer a slave. No longer a what? A slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, his what? Child, God has made you also an heir. Not a slave, but a child. Look, children are never slaves in their father's home. Slaves are never sons and daughters. We, we see this in the parable of the prodigal son. When the younger brother wanted to return back to his father, he was just determined to come back and be a slave, but, but the father refused, right? He would only receive him as a son. Only as a son. And in, and in this journey for us, if we think about it from where we start, this starts to make a little more sense. See, all of us start from a place of being a slave, we are a slave to our desires. We're a slave to the things we don't want to do, those things we just keep doing that we want to stop. We're a slave, but God has created us to be a child, to be his children. So, but the deal is, in this gap, we need some help, and that's where Jesus comes in. See, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, a couple things happen. First is that we are free. We're free from the stuff that enslaved us. We're free from our sin. We're free from our mistakes. We're free from the bondage of not being able to stop doing what we don't want to do. We're free. But that's not all. We're actually positioned also in the family. This is where we become an heir. This is where identity starts to take place. And in the context of that family, this is where we function as a follower, as we live as a child. See, when we choose Jesus, choosing Jesus just is, just is not about like getting out of punishment from the junk we've done. It's not just about avoiding hell. It's about being a person who now lives in freedom, who is part of a family as an heir, who functions as a follower and lives as a child. And the reality is we get to move from slave to child. We get to be a child of God, whole, restored, clean, and free. But it's not something we can do. It happens through Jesus Christ. He's the one that positions us to live into that reality. And, and he's the one that makes us an heir. You see, to be an heir is about having a birthright. It's not about performance. To be an heir is to be a recipient of a gift. And Jesus gives us the gift of being in the family and being free. In fact, he said it this way. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So we start up there at the top, enslaved to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. We can be part of the family, but not while we continue to sin. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We can be free. You can be free from, from whatever holds you back 
You can be free from, from shame, from guilt, from that habit, from that addiction. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You can run an increasing freedom when you understand your identity in him as a child. You can become more. Yet many never run in that true freedom. They get stuck in sin. They get stuck in a lesser identity. They get stuck in the wrong family. And then the things of this world can cause us to lose sight of our true identity. Not that much unlike what happened in PK's story. Check out this as he shares it with us. From birth until 13, um, my life was pretty chaotic. It uh, was full of divorce, a lot of sexual, physical, emotional abuse. Um, and it, uh, it took a toll on me as a young, as a young person. Um, at five, at the age of five, my, uh, one of my family members introduced me to alcohol and drugs. And at that age, even though it wasn't a regular basis usage, it, uh, I learned that you could cover up the feelings that you were feeling um, at a uh, very early age. And uh, when I turned 13, my mother had rededicated her life and found the man of her life, uh, my dad, who I call my dad. He wasn't my my real dad, but he, uh, he came into our lives and we moved to Cambridge, Illinois. And I had the first three years of my life that was actually stable and uh, comfortable, you know. And uh, actually was involved in a youth group and uh, went to church and went to youth camp and knew that God had called me into the ministry. I, I felt it, I'd, I seen the vision of myself standing up in the crowd and uh, saying, God pulled me through all of this and uh, he can do it for you as well. Moved to California for a month and turned around and came back. And it just shattered me. It was back to the life of, of craziness and uh, started using drugs again, started running, ended up in rehab three times. Um, ended up getting married at 18 years old, having two children. Um, and just living a life of, of total selfishness and craziness. Um, I always say to know me was to be hurt by me, physically, emotionally, anything you can imagine. Um, to love me was to be hurt. Then on June 15th of 2007, um, I lost the best friend and love of my life. My little brother was killed in Iraq um, by an IED. And it, it demolished me. He was my best friend. We were together every single day. The loss of my brother was immeasurable. And I went to, found myself uh, hanging around a motorcycle club. And if, at first, you know, as a hang around, it's, it's fun, it's exciting. Um, and then they asked me to prospect. And that's when it starts getting real. Uh, you do things you never thought you'd do. Uh, I lost a wife from it. Um, ended up getting my colors, my cut, uh, which is a vest. And uh, then it got even more real. I started doing things that I never thought I would do. Any criminal act you can think of, um, I did for them because I would never let a brother down again like I felt like I let my brother down. 
I had a long, long battle uh, dealing with the things that I had done, the people that I'd harmed. But God's grace is great. It's an awesome, awesome thing. And uh, he has led me into a life of, of love and happiness. And, and I'm learning to be selfish with my relationship with him and not selfish for myself. Um, I, uh, he's given me a wife and, and two beautiful stepchildren. And uh, I love them very much. It's, it, they're amazing. And, My life could never be the same. It never could be the same. His glory has, has brought me out of the depths and the pit. And uh, no, even when the devil tries to get me, um, I know my God is greater. That's a powerful example of a life-changing encounter with Jesus. To be set free. Free from addiction, free from cancer, free from, from grief, free, free from every form of bondage and slavery by the great and awesome, awesome grace of God. Our God is greater, and we don't have to sin. We don't have to be defined by what we have done or what others have done to us. Because if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. No question. No matter where you've been or what you've done. Listen, if you've never experienced the freedom that comes from Jesus, if you sit here today and you're spiritually unresolved, but you sense God is calling you into something more, I want to encourage you to chase him and chase that. One of the ways you can do that is just by having a conversation with him right where you're at. And there's two conversations that are in your note guide that you could use. One is at the top of the notes section. The other is on the very back page right underneath how it says where it's how to start a relationship with Jesus. There are two example prayers that you can pray on your own to begin the journey of moving from a slave to a child, from a fan to a follower. And if you sense God calling you into more, I encourage you to have that conversation because you can leave here radically different than when you came. You can have new life and a new birthright and you can be a child of God simply by beginning that conversation and asking Jesus to free you and position you in the family and empower you to be a follower as you live as a child. And whether you're going to do that today or whether you've done that before, one of the realities about moving from slave to child, from fan to follower, is that there should always be fruit in our life. In fact, the next film is that followers bear good fruit. Followers of Jesus bear good fruit. It should be there. It's an external indicator, much greater indicator than wearing a jersey. Because it was Jesus who said this in, in Matthew chapter 7. He said, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Say, look, a fan bears fan fruit, and a follower bears follower fruit. Somebody who is living as a slave has that fruit in their life, but someone who's living as a child lives in the freedom. And if you're a follower and not a fan, it will be obvious in your life by the fruit. It won't just be words. You will move from being selfish to selfless. You'll live in greater levels of freedom in your life. You, you will live in the connection and relationship with other people because you'll be free, but you'll be part of a family, so you have significant connection and relationship that allows you to then function as a follower 
and living out and chasing the things of God's kingdom and living in alignment with his heart where you live, three, two, one. Check out what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. He said this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And listen, that adoption to sonship was the equivalent of a, of a legal identification of a male in the Roman culture coming into the family and having all legal rights. It was significant. Being in the family with all benefits, all connection, all legal rights. And then it goes on to say, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. He continues by saying this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now we are, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's amazing. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Listen, the, this whole journey of of Stepping from slavery into freedom and family and followership as a child, this is, this is about our identity. This is about who we are. And it really it involves taking hits. It means sacrificing. It's being a player on the field, not a fan in the stands. And this, again, is not something we can do on our own. This is what Jesus does in us when we surrender and say, take all that I am, I give it to you. He frees, he positions us in the family, we become a follower. We function out of that followership as a child in his kingdom. Everything begins to change when we yield his authority in our life, when we consistently identify with him as Savior and Lord. And again, as long as we think that's something we can do on our own, it's proof and fruit that we, we're not. He's the only one that can do it. We, we simply can't do what the Spirit does in our life. It's only by the power of God. And one of the things that Jesus did when he often talked about his relationship with us, he used the metaphor of a sheep and a shepherd. And and. I came across a story not that long ago that really brought this into greater clarity for me. You may have seen this in, in the news, but a, but a sheep was found in New Zealand that was believed to have been missing for like six or seven years. Okay, now if you know anything about sheep, sheep require tending and care, and, and without a shepherd caring for that sheep, some things can happen that shouldn't happen. And, well, let me just show you what happened with this sheep. Check out this picture here. See, listen, about four weeks ago, this sheep was found with an overgrown fleece. It was so overgrown, it could no longer see. It, it, it can lead to severe medical complications, obviously, and even death. And so what they did is they called in a national sheep shearing champion to help out. Here's a little bit more about this story. because the uh, problem that I had was with all that weight of that fleece pulling on the skin, I had to be careful not to cut it. This fleece weighs uh, 40.5 kilos and the average fleece after 12 months of growing would be 5 kilos, so it's, it's quite amazing. I, I reckon this sheep would have been about 7 years old. It was actually in quite good conditions, which, which is quite amazing. The sheep, uh, the body weight of the sheep after it was shorn was 44 kilos, so it was nearly, nearly carrying as much of its own weight in fleece. 
and given that it, that a uh, uh, wool will carry whole 80% of its uh, weight once it's wet, it's quite amazing that it survived all these years out in the wild. It certainly seemed very happy, and uh, the vets were quite pleased with the condition of the sheep after it was shorn. Isn't that crazy? That fleece was so overgrown, its own life was at risk. Listen, I share this because I think it positions us, all of us, me even, to like reflect in my own life. Because I think there's a parallel here that in a similar way that we can carry what we don't need to. We can carry fear and wounds and regrets and shame and sin. And that stuff begins to define us and it limits us. And we live as a slave and not a child. And we need to be sheared. And I wonder today, I wonder what's defining you. I wonder what you have allowed to be overgrown in your life that needs to be sheared by the shepherd. What's defining you? See, one of the realities about living into the priorities of the kingdom and living into a three-two-one life is that how we treat ourselves and others is really a reflection of what we believe God thinks of us. How we think God views us determines how we treat others and ourselves. Whether we live three, two, one, or one, two, three. And if you think that being positioned in three, two, one means you're being mastered, then you really don't have a master. If you think you're being forced to submit into this, then you're really not submitting. If you think you're being forced to obey, you're not obeying. And if you think you're being convinced rather than believing by faith, you're functioning as a fan and not a follower. You're living as a slave and not a child. Because the true indication of a child and of a follower is that they set aside their rights and their interests for the interests of the one they follow, the interests of Jesus. And they let him define who they are. And I wonder what's defining you today. See, if we're going to move from slave to child, there's just three things that we need to do. I want to run through them real quick. They're simple, they're straightforward, but the challenge is to actually live into them. The first is to simply follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's it. See, when we live on our own, the things of this life, the experiences, they start to accumulate. They, they start to grow around us like 90 pounds of wool. That's the equivalent of the kilos, about 90 pounds of wool. It grows around our life. They define our life, and they determine what we can see and how we can move. And they can even threaten our very well-being. But like sheep, it can change when we get the right help. It can change like in PK's story. But Jesus is the only one that changes it. Him and no one else. His great and awesome grace. John wrote this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's receive and believe. It's not about our obedience that puts us right with God. We are made right with God because above all things, Christ died and he rose. And the relationship he demands of us is impossible unless he does a supernatural work in us. 
So our job is to shift from believing Jesus to following Jesus, to live as a follower and a child. So follow Jesus. That takes us into the next one, which is just to live free. Live free. We can read in Galatians 5 these words. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In Jesus, we're free. So live it. Live free. Free from your past, free from fear, free from your mistakes, from those wounds. Stand firm in it. But the deal is we can let ourselves drift back into slavery. We can go back and pick up the junk that we've been freed from, either out of comfort or habit, but we don't have to. We can live free. We can end up doing what we don't want to do again. But Jesus has set us free. We go back to that stuff because being delivered from sin is not the same as being delivered from our humanity. And when we're forgiven, we are free, but we have to choose to live that way. And if you're living with a personal, habitual, perpetual sin, if you're going, giving in to temptation, back to old habits and patterns, listen, you're producing wool and you need to be sheared. You're not living one, two, three, and you're not free. You're living as a slave and not a child. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, God does not make us holy in the sense of character. He makes us holy in the sense of innocence. And we have to turn that innocence into holy character by a series of moral choices. We have to make choices out of our identity that position us as followers who live as children, known by our fruit, where we look like a follower, where we look like Jesus. Because when we choose to follow him, when we live according to three, two, one priority, then he begins to work in and through us by his Holy Spirit. And living under the leadership of Jesus positions us and allows us the freedom not to sin. We don't have to sin. We can live free. So do it in his power. And that takes us to the third thing, that we need to be fruitful. Be fruitful. Listen, being a follower of Jesus means our lives will yield more than just our salvation. It'll yield more than just our salvation. We can read this in Romans 7. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. In order that we might what? Bear fruit for God. Man, underline that, circle that, put it in your Bible, highlight it. We are to bear fruit for God. And being a follower of Jesus means our lives will yield more than just our salvation. That we will be saved and then sent, and we will be fruitful. So follow Jesus, live free, and be fruitful. The, the beauty of following is that God puts a new nature in us where we can live a totally new life. No longer a slave, but a child. Not a fan, but a follower. And to be a follower is to be a child. One who knows that our God is greater. Greater than any shame. Greater than any fear. Greater than any bondage. But I wonder what's defining you. And so I want to wrap up our time this way. I think we can go to sporting events and, and we can readily stand and cheer and we can stand up for our team and we can declare our loyalty to that team. But I think sometimes in church we feel a little more reserved and we don't publicly acknowledge what God is wanting in our life or what he's asking. 
And so as we step into a moment of pray, prayer, here's what I'm going to ask of you. I want to ask all of you at all of our locations, if any of what I'm about to describe reflects what God is saying to you today, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment. If God is speaking to you today and asking you to step in any of these ways, I encourage you to stand, publicly acknowledging that he's asking of you something more. He's calling you from, from slave to child, from fan to follower. So here's the thing. If you find yourself today listening and processing and you feel like God is saying to you that you have been believing like a follower but behaving like a fan, in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand. You have believed in your heart, but you have lived in your life very differently. Maybe for you today, some of you, you've been living as a slave. You've been in bondage to sin. You've been doing things you don't want to do. You can't stop doing that thing, and you need to have freedom. And you need to move from slave to child. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Maybe there's some of you who are not living in freedom. You chose Jesus, but you're stuck. Because you're not living one, two, you're not living three, two, one. You're living one, two, three. And you need his power at work in you to live into the freedom, to maybe even become an heir fully in the sense that you recognize the fruit in your life as part of the family and to be a true follower, to make a transition from just being that fan marked by fear but being a follower who's marked by faith, moving from just believing to behaving, a new life, new birthright, new experience, no longer spiritually unresolved. So in a moment, let's, I'm going to move to prayer right now, but I'm going to invite you, if any of that, if God has been saying, look, you're here, but I need you here, I'm calling you to more, I invite you to stand. If any of what I have described for you today, God is saying to you, look, you're no longer to be a child, no longer to be a slave, I want you to be my child. I no longer want you to be a fan, I want you to be a follower, I invite you to stand right now. If he's calling you into more, if he's saying you've been living in your own strength, you have been believing as my child, but you have been behaving as a slave, you're not living in freedom, I invite you to stand to publicly declare, Lord, I am choosing to allow you to empower me in my life and transform me by the power of your spirit in me so that the fruit you want to see can actually be there. I'm done being a fan. I want to be a follower. I invite you to stand as we pray. Would you join me as I pray? Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your presence. And God, as my brothers and sisters have stood across our heritage family, God, I celebrate that you're speaking God, for those that are declaring they're moving from spiritually unresolved into a relationship with your son Jesus, I pray you would show up and transform them and empower them by your spirit. Lord, for those that have recognized that they have been believing as a follower but behaving as a fan, I pray that you would empower them to live fully as a follower in all they say and do. Father, for those that recognize they've been living in reverse priorities, I pray that you would give them boldness to live three, two, one, prioritizing the things of your kingdom and others ahead of themselves. God, I love that you work and move and you call us into more. And, and those who have stood today, who have recognized you calling them into something else, I celebrate that. And I pray that by your spirit, you would empower them to live fully into that commitment by your strength and not theirs. So Lord, as we prepare to step back into another form of worship through music. God, I ask that you would continue to direct our steps, that you would become more, we would become less, and that we would live free in your family, functioning as followers, as a child of God. I love you and I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.